Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Break, break, break. Bulldog 7, this is Blue 1. Troops in contact. Coordinates to follow. Platoon location as follows. Papa, uniform. Three, five, five, eight. Fowler, three, two, one. I'll copy over. Hey there, welcome to Warrior U. Join retired Special Forces Officer Bram Connolly as he explores resilience, mental toughness, high-performing habits and other aspects that are required to develop a warrior mindset. Warrior U, it's the performance edge. Hey everyone, it's Bram Connolly here, retired Special Forces Operator and Officer with over 20 years in the Australian Army. Just before we launch into today's show, I want to tell you a little bit about the Warrior U program that forms the basis of the Warrior U website. The program has been designed to help anyone aspiring to join the Australian Defence Force. There's a tailored fitness program based on simple movements that ensures you get from zero to hero in the time frame that you have available. There's lessons on military skills and culture. Lessons are self-paced and there are quizzes to help reinforce the learning. Some of the topics include weapon types, navigation theory, survival, and there's fieldcraft lessons too, just to name a few. There's also a mental resilience block of training. The main aspect of the program though is the access to mentors who've either held positions within the Defence Force recruiting or recruit or officer instructors and even some Special Forces selection staff. So no matter what you want to do in the ADF, we have a mentor to assist and provide advice. There's a one-off payment of $99 for the complete program. Check out the website on www warrioru.com.au That's warrior and the letter U. Now, to introduce today's sponsor and then our guest. Hey gang, I want to give a massive shout out this week to my sponsors and in no particular order or is there. Anyway, I'll let you try and work that out. So the sponsors, Special Operations Research and Development or SWORD. They design and supply legit tactical gear. I've used their equipment most of my army career never let me down. Second off the bat, TACMED Australia, specialists in emergency medical equipment and training for complex environments. This group knows what they're on about, so go and check out their website. Now, Brother Shave, they're a brilliant not-for-profit veteran business. Ringers Western, a true blue Aussie clothing company with amazing workwear and casual clothes. And last but not least, Aussie Strength. So if you're after workout equipment, you need to check them out. Their stuff is quality, and I'm in the process of replacing a lot of the equipment in my gym with Aussie Strength gear. Some of you might know what gear I'm talking about from my Instagram account, and I'm currently replacing some of it. So there you have it, my sponsors. If you'd like to be a corporate sponsor, please reach out to me directly, and let's have a chat. Or if you'd just like to support the podcast, you can drop a few dollars into the Patreon page. That's always helpful. And leadership's one of those things where a lot of companies don't know what good looks like. Yeah, 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 totally. And so, 
and as an ex-military officer, you know, you've got to walk this fine line as well, you know, because you don't want to say, this is the way it's done because yeah, you don't necessarily know best, but at the same time, you do know what good positive leadership looks like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's for sort sure. of the struggle I've got at the moment is just to bite my lip more than anything. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said, uh, I think one of my main challenges getting out has been uh, developing empathy, which my wife is, often tells me I have none of. You know, but uh, it's yeah, you can't 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 be the same type of leader you were in, in defence. You've got to take you know, balance it out. The massive difference is that you don't have the Defence Force Disciplinary Act behind you to fall back on when you yeah. tell someone, "Hey, um, you know, this is the way I want you to adjust your behaviour because you're a cockhead." There's no right of reply or rebuttal, and yet. As yeah. a civilian, you're not allowed to adjust someone's personality actually in the workplace. You can only really manage their behaviours. Yeah. You know, so the, it's it's actually a little bit different when you're when you're leading people in the workplace. You're trying to change their behaviours without really manipulating their personalities. But in the military, you've got a sledgehammer approach where you can actually start to change people's perspectives. You know? Yeah, yeah. And you yeah, can't you, you can't do that. That's why you've got no empathy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so david french tell me about your military background so i joined uh defense force academy i uh, joined the army in an ad for 1996 uh graduated uh after a pretty serious shoulder injury uh from rmc four and a, a bit years later and went into infantry corps and spent the majority of my career in the infantry battalions in, in darwin in five seven five r and r did the usual tours to East Timor, Iraq, and, and Afghanistan, and then uh, I left the army after 21 years and moved into the private sector. Um, been, yeah, it was a fantastic career. I loved almost every single moment. Of it. But what was the what was the job you walked away from? Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. So I had a bit of a, a different transition. I'd said I was in, uh, as interested in being um, commanding officer of the School of Infantry in a couple of battalions, and I. I got picked for this uh, CEO of the School of Infantry, and then after uh, I got told that good news, and I walked out of the of the office of the the general that had told me, and uh, I had a really long three years in AHQ, very tough, um, been some tough, challenging work, and I, and I walked out, and I went, you know what, I don't think I want to do that job, and so I spent two days kind of agonising over that, and then I went back to my boss and said, hey, sir, I'm going to knock this command job back. Because I did that, I decided to resign from the army as, as mm. kind of the, the right thing to do. Because you know, I told told Dockham and the chief I was interested in uh, in this job, and then I changed my mind after they'd given me what I'd asked for. Yeah, and when I when you told me that story, I I almost fell off my chair, didn't I? Because yeah. that, that was like that's my that would have been my dream job, I think, School of Infantry CO. Yeah. You know. Oh, look, it's it's a great job. And, you know, the irony being is uh, I now find myself working for a company that's uh, developing and designing a lot of training for defence. But at the time, you know, it was um, it was the right the right choice for me, the right choice for Army. I think maybe I was a bit burnt out at the time and I, I probably wouldn't have done as good a job as, as those who were, who were there and who were followed. But you know, don't re- don't regret that, and it was the right thing to do. And I was I was really lucky. I left the army with my ledger square, with uh, having loved everything I'd done, and and had an incredible career. Yeah, and now now we're a couple of washed up old 
yeah. officers talking about uh, resettlement, PTSD, yeah. bloody... Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, you know, it's the way, you know, solving problems of the world in a slightly different way. Did you did you have PTSD when you left? Did you have anything that had... No, no, look, I, I'm, I'm pretty... I mean, I've been lucky all my life and I'm certainly lucky with that. Um, despite all the, you know, the extremes of poverty um, and, and the worst of humankind that I saw in in countries all over the earth I've, I've walked away from that without suffering too much i think it changes you i'm not certainly not the same guy i was before i went to afghanistan i was different before i went to iraq i was different before i went to yeah east Timor for the first time as a 22 23 year old lieutenant every single one of those things changed me you know i don't suffer from post-traumatic stress uh, i'm probably one of the lucky few have post-traumatic gain and that it's allowed me to not get wound up in the things that seem to make so many other people um, angry and, and, and worked up over issues, I can just say it's just not important and it's not one of the things that matter to me. Having said that, you know, I think I probably blow my top on occasion uh, quicker than, than your average bear, but uh, that's that's about as bad as it gets from it. Yeah, and I think with with that, that's not uncommon for me to hear someone say that. Like most of us... Most, certainly most of my friends don't have PTSD and and most of them were in some way depressed when they left the army because suddenly they weren't in the army anymore. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, they had post-traumatic growth, which, you know, obviously I think Dan Pronk's probably talked about the most on social media and brought it to yeah. everyone's attention. I mean, I went through a phase there where I was almost feeling guilty from not having PTSD, I guess, and then and then went through a phase of bashing anyone who said they did have it to the point where I'm now, yeah, I, I sort of, yeah, I get it. You know, I, different people, different people, different, you know, horses for courses and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, look, yeah, people react, you know, they react differently and I'm not enough of an expert to say, you know, who should and who shouldn't get it and why. I mean... Uh, like many people there, I've seen the the worst of combat injuries from you know, bullet wounds to traumatic amputations and, and you know, everything in between. So yeah, the, a lot of the popular narratives say that I should be suffering from it, but I'm lucky enough that I don't. I've, I've got no good reason to explain why it hasn't affected me and it might have affected someone else. Mm. Um, you know, I was actually chatting, I was driving with my boys the other day and uh, the old red gum song, The Walk in the Light Green, came up on my iPad and, and they know what that song is about. And uh, I was explaining to them that, you know, the line from that song that, you know, four-week operation when it's typically the last one on two legs, that was something that, that a lot of our guys had to deal with um, over there. And for some of them, one of those steps was. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Having said, I, you know, I don't have, I don't have PTSD, and I'm really happy with everything that's, that I've done and before and since. Mm. I, I never really feel obliged to watch the documentaries on Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, and my line is generally, you know, I've been, I was there. I don't need to, don't need to see it again. So maybe that's just another manifestation of that. But um, a lot of my, a couple of my soldiers, uh, you know, suffer who I commanded in Afghanistan suffer quite badly from it. Uh, and I think they tend to be the guys who got out quite early after our tour, uh, and the combat engineers seem to be the the ones who were the uh, affected more than others. I'm sure there's science data behind that, that that people can draw their own inferences from. But 
you know, we, we look after each other as much as we can now as we did then, I suppose. Yeah. The engineers, man, they um, definitely in the breach, weren't they? Right up the front oh, yeah. there. And, yeah. yeah. Incredible, and, incredible, you know, human beings when you think about it, like your job is to, you know, they're like the scouts of Vietnam or, or, or you know, the, the lead guys over the, you know, the trench in the, the World Wars, like, uh, it takes a special kind of person to do that, and I suppose everyone's got a certain reservoir of uh, of courage, and and you get, might hit the bottom of it at times. Um, maybe courage isn't the best word there, because I'm never afraid, or I never showed it anyway. No, well, I think, yeah, perhaps it's not courage; it's just the metal to to get up and just do it time and time and time again. At some point, you know, enough's probably enough. Yeah. It was the yeah, same with absolutely. our. It was the same with the guys we had from First Armoured that were driving our Bushmasters for us because we're commandos, we don't drive vehicles. <laughs> um, and, you know, those guys would, you know, they're just plowing along the roads and you never know, especially on time-sensitive targeting when you when the engineer's not up the front clearing stuff, we're just going at speed chasing someone and I'm I'm sitting third vehicle back watching, watching the vehicle in front of me get lifted up and spun 360 degrees and put back down and then everyone gets out of yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it takes a, you know, those guys are very brave. I think. Um, yeah. So mate, yeah. the transition out. Yeah. Um, look, I, again, you know, my, my luck held in transition. You know, the I've I've had a fantastic network network of contacts from defence, um, and uh, that's how I landed my my first job out. A, a guy who was in charge at Staff College when I when I went through there um, heard I was leaving reached out and, and uh, said, look, I've got a job for you. And I, I went to work for that company for, uh, for six months, which is a fantastic company who really looked after uh, ex-defence people um, called Noetic Group. Um, and, and, you know, that was partly good timing. I got out. They, they had a need. I, I, I needed a job and, uh, and we lined up and then uh, finished that contract. And I've been with the company now with BCT Solutions just over a year uh, because... Uh, you know, the network again, the old defence network reached out and met these guys who are running this company and now I've been working for them for 12 months and it's it's been fantastic. Yeah. Not like that for everyone, you know, and I fully acknowledge that. Um, Canberra's a pretty easy place to, to get out for uh, for an ex-defence member. Yeah. Um, but my key takeaway from that is, you know, your network, your brothers and sisters in arms are as important out, outside as they are uh, inside for you. Do you think... Do you think there's companies out there? Sorry, mate. Do you think there's companies out there who um, have stumbled upon a virtual, you know, talent goldmine by by reaching out to ex-members of the ADF and and they just sort of keep it to themselves? I, I mean, I know for sure that I've seen that with some of the big companies, some of the big consulting firms. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, yeah, if you're, you're a company, you figures out. All of the good things that a veteran can bring into uh, into your workforce, uh, you you keep going down that uh, keep going down that 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 road. Um, my company, I'm the general manager of the company now. Um, we've just hired, you know, team members 33 to 34. Of that 34, um, I think 31 of us are, are veterans from mainly Army, but also Air Force and Navy. Uh, because I know that if I if I get a veteran, regardless of what rank or job they did, and I've got you know, ex-officers, ex-war officers, ex-you know diggers, I've got the full range of people working on 
this incredible amount of work um, all around Australia. And, and I know that you know they're going to be committed. I know that they're going to do their job. You know, not just their eight hours a day, but if they need to do more, they'll do more. And I, I know that they'll do it well, and I can trust them to do it well. Mm. Um, and it's fantastic to have that team behind you. Smart mm. companies recognise that. Uh, and they know it. And you know, I had someone reach out to me the other day and say, "Hey, can, we, can I have a copy of your veterans' employment policy?" I said, "Mate, we don't have a policy. We just know that they're good people, mm. and um, we know that they're the, the right type of people for, for us. And that, that's as, as much of a policy as we have." A veterans' employment policy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose maybe that was a way for that that company and the veterans who were in that company to try and drive that home to their to their partners or their directors or whoever is running their organization mm. about the benefits of having veterans in the company you know for us it's a no-brainer mm. um it, it really is just a, 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 a you know combat multiplier you would have called it in the old days yeah i'm now and and, and i know you know this because you help me mentor people on the warrior you website um yeah. one of the things i say to to a lot of the young guys and girls that are joining the ADF is um, join the join the ADF with a view to getting out. Yeah. And yeah. and that's something I didn't do. I just knew I was going to do twenty years because I was on the Defence Force Retirement Death Benefit Scheme. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, there was a measly pension waiting at the other end. Yeah. Um, um, funny story actually. I was at Inkapuka in nineteen ninety one, and the the uh, warrant officer in charge of the whole sort of barracks came in and started yelling yelling at the sergeants. And one of the sergeants came into my room and said, right, he goes, you can either stay here and polish your boots or you can come down to the gymnasium and listen to the MSBS lecture. And I, and I looked at my boots and I looked at him and I thought about it. It was the like last couple of weeks of Kapuka. I said, oh, I'll just stay here and polish my boots, thanks. So he, he, he left. I, I finished spit polishing my boots. Those boots are worth a lot of money now. Yeah, that's right. That's probably a really good decision. Because everyone that went down into that gymnasium all signed over to MSBS. um, And, you know, I didn't get the lecture. (laughs) I'm sure sure there's... Yeah. 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 I'm sure there were some laws broken in that regard. But um, I didn't get the lecture and just stayed on DFRDB. And then... And and a few times through my career, you know, at about the eight-year mark, I think probably the 14-year mark as well, after my first trip to Afghanistan, you know, I, I... I actually seriously considered leaving defense, you know, and I didn't because of that. What was hanging over me was that pension at the 20 year mark. And then at the 20 year mark, there was no, you know, if I wasn't going to be competitive to be, you know, chief of army, which I knew I wasn't, (laughs) why, (laughs) why stay in the army, you know, do something else. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting how that that's gone by the wayside. I know a lot of people over the last two decades have tried to, reinstate dfrdb in some way or have lobbied government but there's there's been absolutely no traction gained um i do think it's something that you know probably should be looked at by governments and i'll certainly keep raising it every time a new government yeah. comes to power look it's, it's interesting those things uh yeah how financial retention kind of works and and doesn't and uh what benefits you know are best for the defense force and, and getting the best people and look it's a you know, it's a crowded work market out there, the workplace out there at the moment. Um, you know, I'd certainly rather see DFRDB reinstated or um, you know, 
potentially unscrew some of the legislation surrounding uh, the Veterans Acts or three uh, pieces of legislation about those um, rather than you know, getting led onto a plane first or, or a discount at a supermarket. I think those are more tangible and, and real benefits for you know, people who want to sign up and uh, uh, serve their nation, which is what everyone does. I mean, no one does that job for the money, right? Um, I, was, I was gobsmacked by that whole... Yeah, by that whole announcement by Virgin that they were considering, you know, letting yeah. veterans on. Can you imagine the flight from Townsville to Brisbane during <laughs> during bloody leave? <laughs> and, and then what level veteran are you? Hang on a second. Yeah. Hang on a sec. How long have you been in? Because this plane's full of veterans, so which one's going to go on first? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and look, the, the danger with that stuff is it, 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 risks, it risks the recognition becoming transactional. Yeah. And, and and becoming something that's not thought about as to why you're actually doing it. And that that's not of benefit to anybody. It's not of benefit to anyone else who's in the lounge. It certainly doesn't benefit the veteran and, and their family. If you are if you are honest about it as a young soldier, and, and a lot of and I mean there's different periods of time in defence as well. Like I went through the 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 nineties where we didn't do very much, you know, in the nineties. Yeah. Um, we went to Somalia. There was Rwanda and Cambodia, but they were they weren't large scale. And then and then a lot of the other units didn't go anywhere. And then and then I did the commando stuff at the back end of the nineties. So life for me was particularly busy then. But in those early days, ninety one through sort of ninety five, it was PlayStation and Gatorade, Sporties, cricket, rugby, and the occasional live fire X. It was great. It was an awesome job. And you know, and to think that to think that a guy that has done that for a couple of years is then getting preferential treatment to go sit on a plane, absolute is that's ridiculous. I can't believe yeah. it. You know, and we're yeah, not we're not Americans. Certainly, so. individual experiences will vary, and I think mm. uh, my my kind of cohort, the people who joined at, at there or thereabouts at the time that I did, like we were probably the first group that that as far as the officers went anyway, that, you know, we deployed at every single rank. I was yeah. an operations as a lieutenant, as a captain, as a major. Mm. And, and, you know, I would have gone as a lieutenant colonel at some point had I had I stayed in. Mm. Um, certainly my, my friends, my, my brothers have. Yeah, it was, um, it was a, for your cohort, for that particular sort of years, it was super busy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, compared absolutely. to... Absolutely. And now, now that's changing. Uh, you know, now I've got friends who are commanding battalions out there and... Uh, the majority of their diggers haven't deployed yeah. because they're just that that cycle of the of that. And um, oh man, and I'm hearing some I'm hearing some some not great stuff from some of the lads in the battalions about the the, the type of leadership that's that's occurring, and it's because of a, a nexus between those who've deployed and left, and those who've who've been promoted up through the ranks, and and you know, and are not able to they haven't got those mentors above them anymore, and so they're sort of you know, floundering a little bit, and unfortunately, it's the young soldiers who are who were in the brunt of it. But I mean, it's a it's one of those problems, you know, for all the ages. It conti- it'll continue being cyclic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and look, you know, good good strong leaderships uh, be hard to get anywhere. You know, I had some fantastic leaders under my command in Afghanistan and in East Timor uh, when I was a young officer. Really benefited from from strong leadership. Um, uh, in my platoon, the section commanders and the, and the sergeant that I had, you know, who I was chatting to the other day, and he's heading to be an RSM 
uh, you know, shortly, um, which is fantastic. You know, the, and, and those guys, if they're good at it, they'll always be there. And that, that gives me great uh, a sense of relief that, you know, my two boys join the army uh, in, in the years to come, but they'll probably still be a few of those blokes kicking around as, as the old crusties. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I'm probably right. a bit more removed from that. I don't know what the scale of the problem might be at the moment, but I know, you know, great leaders are hard to get, can be easy to lose, and, and you always want to have more of them. Um, and we put a lot of effort, certainly in our organisation, to make sure that we, we develop leaders as well. You can't, you don't just get them because they're there. You've got something you really got to work at. Uh, and not everyone can be a leader, unfortunately. No, it's a good point. And I think for me, the one thing that's missing from the, the junior NCO. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Courses and the senior NCO courses is a module where that module has someone stand up in front of the class and go, you guys should be bloody excited to be leaders. This is yeah. what, you know, rather than this is the principles of leadership 101, blah, blah, blah. It should be, dudes, this is the best job you're ever going to friggin' have. You've got Australian yeah. soldiers, you've got Australian citizens that have to do what you say they have to do because, first and foremost, the Defence Force Disciplinary Act backs you up. But, mm. by, but by and large, that's got nothing to do with it. The art of it is to get them to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. You're basically building a fan base. And when leaders don't get that, when they forget that, when they just go and they're just section commanders because that's the job they're in or they're just a platoon sergeant because that's their job, then they've lost it. They've lost that leadership you know, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was listening to a uh, podcast the other day because I'm putting a lot of effort into uh, changing who I am as a leader now in, in BCT solutions and the leadership style that I have because it, it requires a different interaction with my with my team now. I think back to guys who, uh, you know, I say guys because I was infantry corps and it was all, all male at the time, but the guys who were my mentors there and are still today. Um, so, you know, uh, Brigadier Chris Appleton, um, Andrew Forbes, th- those are the type of, of leaders who you know I looked up to as a junior officer and and, and followed, uh, and you know try to set myself to to their standard and, and probably didn't get there that often. Um, but that type of leadership is 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 rare. Um, and you know they talked about in this podcast what I'm saying. Yeah, they took people talk about role power and they talk about relationship power. And the best leaders of they might have role power. They might have something that's given to them by you know uh, active act of parliament, uh, but their relationship power is what makes them the real leaders, their ability to influence people and, you know, to understand that that's, that's the best way to do it. I mean, and you, you've got to be completely honest in that. Like I, I stood up in front of my guys before we deployed 180, uh, you know, young Aussies. I took over to, uh, to Afghanistan, you know, in, in total, including all the replacements that we got, it was 180. And I said, look, hey, boys, we're not all coming back the same and I'm not going to bring you all back from this one. You know, both of those things are, are true, 
but if you, if you ever fool yourself that you're a leader just because someone appoints you to be so, then you then you are wrong, and you know I'm a completely different leader as a general manager in a in a consulting company than I was as a lieutenant colonel army headquarters, which was different to how I was as a, a major in a in an infantry battalion. Mm. Uh, it's situational, but you've got to work at it all the time. Yeah, and you, I mean, and and the other thing too is, you know, I see you revert back to that army leader on online when we're talking to guys going through to rmc or adfa you know and I, yeah. I look at the things you write and i'm like you know that is solid you know it's solid influence and and you know providing purpose and motivation which is the basis of the whole sort of warrior you program and you know just a little bit of a, a buy and a buy about that you know we've now had i think three three of the guys go through adfa or going through adfa one of them's in rmc yeah a handful are on the special forces in the special forces direct recruiting scheme and uh, another handful of marching out probably this week of Kapuka. So, you know, for all of its, for all intents and purposes, it's been quite, um, it's been quite a good little system. I think 180 odd people in it. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's been really good for me. So, because the things I, I, I miss about being in the army are, are the things I missed when I was in IHQ, which is, you know, being in the battalion, going field, going on operations, um, like I, I'd do that all again in a heartbeat. And being able to talk to these, you know, young kids or some not so young really. I mean, there's a yeah. couple who are, you know, in their thirties and having a crack at SFERS. Um, yeah, look how old we are, mate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, you know, it, it's been fantastic for for me as well to be able to have a talk to people and you know, engage with them on a personal level about why they're joining and, and, and what to expect. And I think, you know, I talked to people who are still in the army and when I mentioned that, that's something I'm involved in. All of them are, appreciate the fact and what we're trying to do with that program and, and how beneficial it can be as well. Because at the end of the day, I want everyone who's going in the Defence Force and particularly the army, I want them to be the best that they can be because, you know, I've got relatives in the army. I've got, you know, guys I served with for years and brought through all these other conflicts, and I don't want them getting tripped up now because someone else is is a lower standard. So I think we're there for the wrong reasons. Um, so it's it's great to be able to help shape people get ready for the defence force. Yeah, and now through this podcast, we can help people on the other way out the door. So yeah. what tips have you got for for a young guy or girl that's looking at leaving the ADF and making their way into the civilian job market? Look, uh, I'd say um, build a network and use it. And look, I'm, I'm part of your network now. So to anyone who's listened to this, if, you, if you're getting out, hit me up on LinkedIn. David, you do realise this gets coffee. this gets 28,000. Okay. Yeah, well, it might become really popular uh, person on LinkedIn then, eh? But look, you know, re- reach out and build your network um, of and, and use that to your advantage. Mm. You've got fantastic skills. You've got a lot of people out there who would love to work with you. Mm. Uh, when I hear stories, and, and but also understand the market as well. Like when I hear stories about veterans saying they've sent out 100 CVs in a week and they've applied for 100 jobs, that's not applying for a job because mm. if you're sending out 100 CVs, mm. you're not taking the time to research a company to understand mm. who it is that you might be working for. Yep. And that's the difference, right? When you when you leave the army, it's all about you 
who you want to work, work with, the type of people and the type of company that you want to work with mm. and, and the type of work that you want to do. And you've got to align those things and it takes time. Mm. Um, and give yourself that time before you leave. You can't do it six weeks before you, you march out the gate for the last time. But, you know, figure out what you want to do, reach out to people, listen to their experiences. Uh, I hope this is provide some guidance to people as well. And if you're in Canberra, I'll catch up and have a brew uh, and, and have a chat. That's the best way, I reckon. I think you're 100% right. I'm the same. If I hear someone saying that they've sent out 100 CV, you know, CVs to 100 different companies with 100 cover letters, there's, there's no, I mean, I'm an author. I couldn't write that much in a yeah. bloody, in a yeah, year, exactly. in a year. And I mean, the way I would, you know, the way I have done it is to look at a company and then to do some sort of a, you know, mission analysis on what I'm going to do. And I know that we're now talking probably at the, you know, captain and above level. But if you're, if you know, for um, for the soldiers, you know, sergeants and, and you know, an eye map on doing an eye map on, on the company, you know, and even even putting it together like some sort of, you know, set of orders for yourself, you know, like how am I going to approach this and give yourself a timeline? I mean, I'm all about timelines. Build a timeline yep. first. Whenever anything goes wrong in my life, I make a timeline. And, yep. I've, and I've seen it in crisis management. The first thing you should do in a crisis, build a timeline so that you can yep. plot everything on it. It's exactly the same as we do for an, for an ambush. The first thing you should do is like work out your timeline. You know, you work it out for a, for a company attack, work out your timeline. You know, and then and then once you've got that worked out, you know, if you if you understand what you're doing, do a center of gravity analysis on the bloody company that you, you're going after, you know, and yeah. and then yeah, and, and then you know, absolutely. Build it. I mean, that's the first thing we do when we're starting a project with a, with a client. It's how I got my jobs. I and I, I spoke to a whole bunch of different companies. And I looked at their values and I talked to people in the company and I figured out who live by their values and who just had them because they look pretty on the web page. Mm. Uh, I figured out the type of work that I wanted to do. I had that that timeline, as you say, mm. and it was uh, it was really important. And, you know, even this morning I was sitting down with my operations manager and we were looking at where our people were in their, in their projects, what mm. their timeline was, when I needed to find them the next project to go on mm. to, where they might want to be. You know, that's a, a fantastic way to do it. Mm. Yeah, you've, you've got it, and you've, it's all on it's all on you. There are lots of organisations out there that can help you, mm. but yeah. you've got to take that, that those positive steps as well. Yeah, and then on that timeline, you just plot your your prelim phase, your phase one, your phase two, your phase three, and and within those phases, you then you know if you're an, if you're a sergeant for an infantry battalion, you know your your cover letter for a security job is going to be completely different than for a national park. It's going to be completely Absolutely. different for the police. It's going to be completely different because you've got different skills that you've learned in the military, in the military, in the ADF that you then want to apply, you know, for that yeah. specific, for that specific job. The other thing too is, and I've, and you've heard me say this before about my friends who've been highly successful. So these are now entrepreneurs. You know, a few of them are doing better than I'm allowed to say. So, yeah. you know, construction companies started their own security businesses or crisis management businesses. They started their own shirt, branding, jacket company, all these yeah. sort of things. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And the, the thing that all these guys have in common is they didn't ask permission. Yeah, so, they had, a, they had yeah. a go. Yeah, so so the, the number one thing that soldiers have going against them is the fact that we're institutionalized and we look up. We look up for permission. Yep. But 
once you break away from the institution and realize that you are your own commanding officer now, if you want to do something, approved. Yeah. It's approved. There we go. It's approved. Yeah. If you're, hey, guys, if you're waiting, you've got a lieutenant yeah. colonel and a major here telling you right now, approved. Go and do it. Just don't. Yeah. We didn't tell you to you know, create a commander. Have a crack. Like, yeah. I mean, I've got soldiers. Don't kill, uh, any, don't kill anyone, a, obviously. Uh, uh, one of my, my medics from Afghanistan, he's running an aluminium smelter line in uh, in Newcastle. One of my diggers is a recruiter in Singapore. Another one's a lawyer in uh, in Melbourne. Another guy's that, you know, he's an artist. There's security guards. There's people running their own, you know, multi-million dollar businesses. And look, there's guys that are, that are doing it tough as well. Uh, and but, but that's for different reasons. Mm. So yeah, I mean, you're not you're not limited by what you do. Like the ADF doesn't limit being infantry soldier doesn't limit you to just doing security work. It makes you, you know, available and, and good at wherever whatever it is that you want to be good at. Mm. As long as you yeah yeah give yourself that permission, have that go, plan it out and, and have a run at it. And uh, you know it takes relentless pursuit sometimes. That's mm. you know, again something that we we do in our company. Like we're not sitting here we sat here and got permission off the big consulting companies to go and try and win these bodies of work we wouldn't get anywhere mm. um and we we use relentless pursuit of every opportunity mm. that comes our way because we've still got you know 30 people and a hundred you know 30 families 100 different people relying on us to to do that so we're still using those exact same processes to even today yeah and i think a good way to look at it is you know, to see the world, if you're looking at the world from from outside, away from the earth, so you're looking at it as a sphere, and there's all this money sort of moving around. You can see this money moving around the sphere. There's only so much money in circulation, and you're owed some of it, and you're owed some of it if you can find a product or a service or, or can do a job, then that money will go towards you. Maybe Maybe the place where that money is circulating around isn't, Australia for you, perhaps it's California, you know, or perhaps it's London, or perhaps it's Singapore, or, or wherever. But at the end of the day, all that money circulating around, you just need to be able to get in on that. And and you know, usually it's got something to do with a passion that you've got, or something to do with, you know, a, an area, a niche, something that you think needs to be designed or filled, you know. But you just, it's so hard to to tell soldiers, regardless of whether infantry or not, you know, any corps, you know. You don't need permission now. Just go and try it. And the good thing about the networks you're talking about is there's someone you know with a skill that will help you set up that business or get that job. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you should you know, even reach out to people you, you don't know. And I did that. Mm. Uh, you know, I linked in with CEOs of companies and just said, hey, look, I just want to follow you and, and connect so I can understand how it is you think and operate and what's important to you. Mm. Um, and you know what, nine times out of 10, they'll connect back either, you know, even if it's just on LinkedIn or they'll reply to a message. Mm. Uh, you know, I sat down with a, a manager director of a company that wrote recently sold for tens of millions of dollars and just wanted 20 minutes to pick his brain on, on how his company was structured. And he came back straight away and said, yeah, happy to talk. Let's grab a coffee. And he gave me an hour of his time mm. and his time is not cheap. Mm. Um, no, I bet. If you ask and you're genuine about it, uh, I think people are always willing to help. Most people will anyway. Yeah, I've done the same thing. Reached straight out to someone on LinkedIn who's ex-military in a high-profile high job and said, hey, I just want to know what it is that, that you, how you do what you do so that I can 
have a little bit of that magic rub off on me. And I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't even looking for a job, to be honest. It was just something interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Next for you, mate, what's going on? Well, look, we've, uh, you know, we've just hit 30 after two years of operation. We're looking to grow to 50. We've got people all up and down the East Coast um, working on projects for defence and um, security-focused organisations at state and federal level. Um, that's that's kind of where we are and what we do, and we hope to continue that growth industry. Yeah, yeah, and it's there's there's not a shortage of it, right? Um, or shortage of need, I should say. So, I'm loving work as a general manager. I'm still figuring out what the hell my job is. Uh, you know, and I say to my team, like, some days I walk out of the office or a little hub, and I'll think, yeah, I completely nailed that. And then other days I'll walk out and, and be thinking, I've got no idea what the hell I'm doing. And, but I think that's healthy, right? I'm not getting, I'm not resting on on anything like a laurel. I'm, I'm still trying to just have a go. Is it possible that most adults are just making it up, and that kids oh, totally. and that yeah. kids are in the kids, kids are in yeah. the kids are completely in the dark about the fact that none of us know what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. But look, it, it, it's good fun. Uh, you know, I've landed with a with a crew that are good people. We work hard, but we work when we want to. Which is fantastic. Uh, we're not. It's not a sweat fact, sweatshop or you know a factory mentality. I've got a fantastic team. Like you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never have the same kind of team as as you do when you're a when you're a company commander or you know a section commander. Or you'll never have that same exact leadership experience. I, in fact, I wouldn't want that. You know, I think about it. But um, yeah, I've got a really good crew of people, and I learn from them every single day on uh, on what I should be doing and how to do it better. I think that's the key. It's, it's uh, good fun if you plan it and you, you have a go. Do you think Do you think people, when they get out of the ADF, should stay in, in a reserve capacity? You know what? Uh, I reckon so. Um, look, the, what, the, last, the last thing I did before I left the Army was a, a review of the second division. And uh, the Army asked an incredible amount of our reservists. Mm. And the guys and girls who were commanding those units and those companies and platoons and sections, they give up a lot of themselves. And mm. I think anyone mm. who's got experience in the ARA can help that a lot. And I try and do reserve work. I do it really badly. Mm. Sorry, boss. Um, oh, mate, but, I was going to say yeah. my, my, my boss at 1027, who I let down massively when I moved into state, you know, about, <laughs> about four months after I got the gig, he's got to be one of the hardest workers I think I've ever seen. And, and I was in... Special forces for fifteen years, but he yeah. he uh, he is tireless. Whether it's you know working for, I think it's CSIRO, and then and then or DSTO, one of those two, one of the one of yeah. the acronyms, and then you know working on pro- consult consulting projects for them, and then working is you know the, the reserve work as the as the CO of ten twenty seven. He's you know there's not many people that match that work ethic, and and I think the people around him, well, there's not much there's not much support because. You know, there's not really a structure to bring high-profile, high-flying officers once they leave the military. The military, never do it again. Leave the ADF. I'm trying to be less American today, um, <laughs> which is hard when you've spent most of your adult life playing with the U.S. Special Forces anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so he, um, you know, I don't think that it's not structured in a way where you can provide that service. Like I'd work on projects from home, you know, if I if I could, but the DRNs bloody antiquated you know there's yeah, no yeah. it's not like god i work on 
systems now for, for the business I work in that are far in advance of anything the DRN's got and can't be hacked. So, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to wonder yeah. what's going on with Blumen. Yeah, look, I, I, look, go and have a look at the reserves. Like, uh, uh, it lets you keep your hand in, mm. you know, it lets you do things potentially that, you know, uh, when, you, when you want to. And, you know, they've got a, the reserves got a real job now. It's not like the old days, uh, and I'll probably piss somebody off, but it's not the old days when it was, you know, one weekend a month, two, two weeks a year. Um, they've got a proper job to do now with a real operational focus. So, mm. I think it's worthwhile having a, having a go at um mm. and it probably makes the transition a bit easier as well like mm. you're not you don't just like cut the cord and walk away um mm. i wouldn't recommend that for anyone yeah it's tough i think and i think that one of the worst things you can do is is to leave tired after many operational deployments or or a long couple of years you leave tired you are depressed you go and see a healthcare professional who then pigeonholes that as PTSD because it's one of the only ways that they can get you the the care that you that you need. Mm. You know, you then start second guessing yourself, almost talk yourself into it in some ways. I mean, I had Dr. Yeah. John Lane on here, who just I mean, anyone who wants to listen to it, just go back and have a listen to the podcast. He basically says, "Well, we just call everything PTSD because it's the only way to get any true help." Yeah, right. I was, yeah. I was, I was absolutely. You, you do realize I'm recording this sort of thing. He's like, I don't, yeah. I don't care, mate. I don't, yeah. I don't, and he's yeah, so, true. he's such a good dude. He's like, I do not care. Yeah. But that's, you know. But what, what worries me about that is you, you see a psychologist, and then, you know, perhaps, perhaps you go there with a preconceived idea because you're getting out of defense, and then the next thing you know, you're putting your hand out rather than being a big proud bloody, you know ex ADF person, you know? Yeah, yeah. A warrior. And, uh, a warrior. I, I think, yeah, the a healthy, I don't know, I'm like, my personal opinion would be to be a lot healthier in society if more people actually asked veterans what it was actually like. Mm. Uh, because for whatever reason, we didn't let the media into our, you know, into our war mm. when we were overseas, even in East Timor. Um, mm. They weren't really welcome. I, I think that was a mistake. Mm. Uh, looking back with the, the benefit of hindsight, although it would have been a pain in the ass at the time. Uh, I remember having to deal with a Spanish journalist out in Darawood who wanted to go and walk down the, the Tangy Valley by herself. Took a bit of convincing that was a bad idea. But um, uh, yeah, I think you know if there was a more engagement about veterans transitioning and, and leaving. That would be great. And it's mm. just a question, right? Mm. What was it actually like? Mm. And you can explain why what was good and why it was the best and the worst thing that you ever did. Mm. Yeah, uh, and you're gonna and, if you talk to there and why they matter. Yeah, and and if you you know when they talk to me, I'm gonna be saying it was friggin' awesome and I loved it. You know, it was like being you know there's nothing better than being down in cut down patrol vehicles cruising for six weeks through the desert making your own luck. You know, and sure things went wrong, stuff got blown yeah. up, people got shot. It's just a choose your own adventure. You crack on, work out, work out a way around the problem, you know. And yeah, the, and the right. guys would feel the same way. Most of the guys would feel the same way if they were allowed to express it like that. But you know what? The thing, the thing that the thing I noticed with people who I talk to who who have PTSD and who have who really do have PTSD, you know, they do. The thing that seems to be a co common um, theme is that. They, there was decisions made by people above them that they didn't have any say in, and so yep. they, they felt helpless. 
you know, and whether that be a private to a to a major, you know, they had no control over the no control over the situation because they had no they had no say in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, yeah. I can understand that. And I think you know, uh, you know, like like yourself, I would have been making some of those decisions that, that have had that effect on people, and, mm. and uh, that's that's really something you can't throw away from, right? Mm. And there are times where you felt like, and you know, even I felt as a as a you know, lieutenant captain and a major on the operations, I, I felt like powerless to, to do or, or, or stop something from occurring. Yeah, 100%. I think I could agree. I think I'd agree with that. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we've covered so many topics. <laughs> yeah, couple. <laughs> Solve of, the problems of the world again. Couple of crusty old officers talking smack. Yeah. Okay, mate. Well. Thanks very much, David, for coming on the Warrior You podcast. I hope someone somewhere got something out of us just gas bagging. We'll have to do it out of coffees next time. Yeah, 100%, mate. We'll, uh, we'll catch up. We'll have a brew and uh, solve some more problems. Obstacle racing is all the rage across the world. And here in Australia, we are sport for quality. If you want to test your physical and mental toughness, then get outside and compete in true grit. It's a military-inspired obstacle course. I know it's legit, because I served in Special Forces with the co-founder and managing director, Adam McNamee. And to celebrate our bromance, the good dudes at True Grip have created a discount code for listeners of this podcast. Use the code WARRIORU2019, that's WARRIORU2019, for 10% off every one of the 2019 events. And hopefully, I'll see you there wearing one of my WARRIORU t-shirts. Catch you, gang. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.